You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. Game changer, changing your world has no age limit. We're going to be talking about that in a while. Really want to share it to you guys what's been happening. As Pastor Ariel mentioned, we've surpassed the 1,000 barrier a couple of weeks ago. We now have four youth services in three different locations. So we have the Festival Mall, which is happening every Saturday. Um, and then we have two services in our student center. Yes, we have a student center now in downtown Muntinlupa where all the public schools, it's the busiest part of, of Muntinlupa. And we have a student center right in the middle of that. And we have uh, two youth services there, one Friday, one Saturday. And, uh, and I love the one who's, that's happening every one o'clock here in Akasha Hotel. So that's going to ha- happen later. Um, I love it. For the reason that, uh, because of the, aside from its family, they're all family. I love the people going here, uh, in, in the in the in different youth services. But you know, just the relationships of the people. You know, we're we're all friends. We're, it's family, and we've actually been hitting a hundred students for the past few weeks. And this just started two three months ago. Uh, we haven't really announced anything yet. We're going to be announcing the, this youth service by next week because we have, a, we have an outreach series happening next week. But more than the number of the youth service, I know we, we, we always talk about, oh, we've, bro- we've broken this particular number and whatnot. But the reason why we want to talk about that is because something bigger is happening than the youth services. And what's happening actually every week is that the reason why I think it grew is because of the victory groups, the, the discipleship that are happening every single week. From We've, we've had discipleship groups inside uh, campuses from Wednesday, Thursdays, and Fridays um, in the different schools in, in Muntinlupa, from public schools to international schools. And that's happening, again, as I've said, every week. Uh, in fact, we've got, uh, we got this picture a couple of weeks ago. This happened in Pedro Idias High School. One of our leaders there just got really into a fearless beast mode and started preaching the gospel in, uh, in, in, with her classmates. And this was taken during the time. We're just really praying for the people who accepted Jesus Christ. This is happening in our schools here in the South. Fearless students going out. And that's why actually uh, Pastor A mentioned about our uh, one conference that happened last night. And this was... I think the first time we had a, a conference for just the leaders, for student leaders, we were in Phil Sports Arena. And Phil Sports Arena, we, we had a conference here for the entire Philippines, for all uh, students that we have for Every Nation Campus back in 2008. We were about 4,000 people then. But last, but last night, it was really momentous for us because this was 5,000 just leaders of just Metro Manila. Um, so this was a very huge event um, Pastor Rice Brooks preached about, really about preaching the gospel, going back into our campuses, not relying on just, okay, I'm just going to invite them to church. Maybe they will hear the gospel. No, I will bring the gospel to them. So that's what, that was the message yesterday. And uh, me and John Biron hosted. I just have to put that in. <laughs> but Nathan Wong, I'm really proud of this guy. Nathan Wong and his sister, actually, I wasn't able to get a picture of, of her, but they led the worship yesterday with 5,000 leaders. They were amazing. I mean, I love their parents. Um, they're both my Ninong and Ninong and Ninong in my wedding. Um, but and they are amazing worship leaders. But their children are amazing. They are ten times 
It's like they want to fight every time they're on stage. They're like, that's, that's, that was really exciting for me to, to see that yesterday. And we were, everyone from Alabama were like, we're so proud. We're, we're proud daddies and mommies of, 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 the, of these uh, guys. And so we have our series called Game Changer. Sorry that took some time. That's, we just really wanted to share what we've been doing you know, every day, uh, things that uh, doing this as a job. As a, not as a job, but as, as our life. Campus is life for us. <laughs> but this is, uh, this is what we're, we're going to be talking about, Game Changer. We're going to be talking about, yes, the campus. This is campus weekend. But more than that, um, yes, we're going to be talking about the campus. But as the subtitle mentions, uh, it's saying, changing the world has no age limit. So it's, it's, it has no age limit um, in terms of how young a person can change the world, but it has no age limit as well in terms of how old a person can change the world. When we say game changer, when we're saying a newly introduced element or factor, when you in- introduce an element or a factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a very significant way. Now, when we say change, this has been uh, a rally cry for for... The past few months, for, the, for our entire country, we've always been hearing this for the past few months. Change is coming. Change is coming because of the elections. And this has been the rally cry of now elect President uh, Duterte. And we've been hearing this. And we love the idea of change. We love that things are actually changing. In fact, uh, last, the, the last time we, we heard the State of the Nation address, a lot of people were hopeful. Okay, we want to see that happen. We want to see change in our nation. Um, one of the biggest change and biggest game changer for me in terms of this nation was this picture that we saw. Um, this was the very first time, I think, five of our presidents ha- were in one picture. This is unity. <laughs> These are people who have um, said things about each other. <laughs> but they're now here in one picture. And this got me excited because I am really excited to see change in this nation. I'm so hopeful change but my question is as uh i'm not that young but i'm question this is a question in behalf of every young people what happens after six years when this administration is over what then what are what is our goal for the change i mean for me personally one of the the biggest goal i have in terms of the nation is that um I want to see the, trans, the, the, the change of this nation from a third world nation to a first world nation. I want to see that in front of my, I want, I want to live through that in that era where we're going to see now the Philippines coming into that position where now we're, wow, we're now a first world nation. But then as we look into that kind of change, that is great. I am praying for that. But, you know, I, we've, some of us, maybe most of us have visited certain first world nations. A great, great administration, great system. But the truth is, it's not all that. When I say it's not all that, and now in terms of the, spiritual, the spirituality of a certain place or in terms of what's really happening. I was, uh, we had a 10-day mission trip to Melbourne, Australia last year. Amazing place. I'm probably going to grow old there. I don't know. My wife would love to hear that. But apparently, Melbourne has the highest uh, cases of suicide and depression in entire Australia. It's a first world. The most livable city on earth has the most number of suicides on earth. So if our goal is just to be a first world nation, then maybe we're 
we're aiming short. This is my prayer, why we want to talk about this. We need transformation, not reformation. Not just reformation. Reformation is great. We want to see this country reformed. But we want to see this nation transformed. When we say transformed, changes from the inside out. Changes in the family, not just in the system, but changes in the character of people, changes in the culture. This is what we want to see. And this is what we're going to be talking about as we talk about this, 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 this topic called Game Changer. We're going to be looking at a certain young man who was introduced into a certain system his nation was going through and changed the entire thing. Why don't we all stand up as we study this particular young man? Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Chronicles thir- uh, chapter 34. For now, we're going to be reading four verses it says there, Josiah was eight years old. I'm going to let that sink in. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, he's now 16. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, while he was still a boy, when everyone was looking at him as a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the 12th year, 20, thank you, Pastor. <laughs> in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of all the high places. We're going to explain that later. The Asherim and the carved and metal images. And verse 4, and they chopped down the altars of the Baals in the presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the asherim and the carved and metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered over the graves of those who have sacrificed to them. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, as we look into the life of Josiah, Lord, thank you. For spirit to speak in our hearts, Lord, to open up our minds, to really see God. And Lord, as, as you unravel the plans that you have for this nation, for us, for our families, and for this world, thank you, Lord, for showing us what it is that you plan to do and what, it, what our part is, God. We thank you and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Josiah was eight years old. This is why this, this story was very important. Um, his father, uh, Ammon, was actually assassinated that's why he began to reign when he was eight, because Ammon was an evil king. In fact, it wasn't just Ammon. He, just, he, he became the king for just about uh, just a couple of years. But the father, his father, which is Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, is one, is one of the most, um, probably the most evil king of, of Israel during their time. Evil in a sense where they, would, they started forgetting about God. They started putting up these um, poles and temples that offer sacrifices to different gods around them that to the point that they would offer some of their own children to the fire and some of their temples would have what they call um, temple prostitutes that they would worship God through sex in in front of everyone and this was the the culture and what was happening inside Israel during this time this was the game this was the norm everyone thinks okay our kings are doing this we might as well do this as well this is what's happening well let's accept it 
this is the culture anyway. This is how I was raised up. So fine, let's just do it. This is where Israel was. Evil kings. But then a game changer was born. And a game changer was introduced. At the age of eight, Josiah came. We're going to be looking at his ages as we look into the story. We're going to be studying a little bit, uh, not a little bit, we're going to be going through his life now in in his years as a king. And we're going to be seeing how in his age, God was able to use him as a game changer. And this is my encouragement. As older generation, let's look at the younger generation and see how God can turn something through the life of that person that you're looking at. But how did Josiah exactly change, cause transformation in his, in his nation? How did Josiah become the game changer for his nation? Second Chronicles 34 verse 1, we read this earlier. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He was eight years old. That's why I wanted this to sink in earlier. Eight years old. I'm trying to imagine what the people were thinking. When, they, it, when it was announced, your new king is here. And everyone looked, lo and behold, there was a kid in front of them. A kid was introduced. Now I'm trying to imagine what different groups of people would think. Some probably would think, oh, you know what, he's too young. I don't know what he's going to be doing. Maybe he needs more experience before he can be a king. Okay, that's fine. Some people have probably thought that. Another group would have looked at and, and, and saw Josiah and said, his, his grandfather Manasseh was this. His father Manasseh was this. I don't think Josiah will be any different. So that's another group. There was judgment already on this kid and say, you know what? Your forefathers are like this, so you're going to be like that. I had a conversation with my wife a couple of days ago and I, I saw this. I felt bad for this, this uh, pedicab driver. He looked like he was 70, really old, and he was still trying to get, he was still working. I felt bad. And I started thinking, what kind of mindset would he have and his family would he have that he would continue being in this kind of life? Now, I, there may be a lot of reasons. Maybe it's not his, really his fault. Circumstances in his life has caused him to be in poverty for the past, for, for, for his entire life. But I've heard this. I've heard Filipinos say this. I'm poor. I'm going to die poor. Your father was poor. Your grandfather was poor. Or you're probably going to be poor as well. Probably some people are looking at Josiah. And they're saying, yep, you're going to be like your father. You're going to be like your grandfather. Maybe some people are looking at, you know what? I think change will come to this man. I think his reign will be different. And I will be watching out for this guy. I will be excited for this guy. I don't know what he can do. He's eight years old now, but I believe God has placed him there for a very specific reason. I'm going to watch out for what he is about to do for this nation. And that's a great thought. We all want to be that. But then again, there are people who would look at an eight-year-old and say, kids today, kids today. I probably said that as well, unconsciously. Kids today. But how do we look at the next generation? How are we going to look at this eight-year-old? Because I believe when he was eight-year-old and he became a king, that means he has a calling. 
how will we choose to look at our young people? How do we see young people? Do we see them as a nuisance? They're this loud crowd outside that just keeps on laughing and telling stories and probably playing games all their time. They're nuisance. Do we see them or do we see them as a fulfillment to our own dreams? I wasn't able to become like this, so my, I think my kids will become like this, so I'm going to force this into their life. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but that's just a very limited view of young people. Some of us may be thinking, you know what, I think this, 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 this kid will be a doctor, will be an engineer, will be this, will be that. Those are great vision. But I believe when we say calling, when we shifting our minds from looking at a young person and saying, oh, I think you will be this because my family was this. You'll be an engineer, you'll be a doctor so that you will be rich or you'll become a businessman so you can earn my, you can have the business that I have. Those are great things. But if we shift our mindset from that to God, what are you calling this kid to? Is it business? Is it in the world of engineering? Is it in the world of medicine? Lord, if that is his calling, then I will be the person to push him there and guide him there. Lord, what are you calling this person into? What are you calling this student into? I know I have plans for this. Some of you know this. We've been praying for a kid. And every time I think about you know, having a kid, I already have a plan for their future. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to be this. This guy's going to be this. They weren't even born yet. But then... You know, I would remember that when it's just my vision and that's very limited, but when we start looking at young people and say, you know what, I know you have a calling. I don't know where you're going to go yet. But when we start shifting our minds to that, like with this man, at eight years old, I mean, the idea of being a king was probably not in his mind. Calling. He had a calling. Our young people have a calling. You want them to be game changers? You don't limit them to what we just want. I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, what if that's God's call? And that's why God has placed that in your heart as a parent. That is great. But let's ask God, Lord, what are you calling this young person to? And then it's, if we continue, Second Chronicles 34, verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and metal images. When he was 16 years old, he found God. Basically what happened when he was 16, he had an encounter with God. And this was through his forefather, David. David, who was several generations away from him, left a long-lasting legacy that Josiah saw. Now, when I was reading this, I started asking, Lord, what will the people after me, several generations from now, say, say three generations, four generations from now, will say when they look back at my life, what will they say? If someone in your future, you know, I want to look at my great-great-great-grandfather's life, great-great-grandmother's life, and what will they see if they started looking at your life? What kind of legacy are we leaving now? Oh, my great-great-great-grandfather is rich. And then there's, there was nothing else. Oh, my great-great-grandmother is this during, during her life. That's great. But you see, when Josiah looked back at David, and he looked back, and he looked, and what is so different about this particular, my great-great-great-grandfather, that's so different from my great, my grandfather, and from my father. And he started looking, oh man, I wanted to have what he had. He had something different. David's legacy, 
the older generation's legacy was so strong because of his relationship with God that it surpassed several generations towards Josiah. I remember I had a conversation with my victory group and some of them, sadly, not the victory group from here. I have another victory group, just to clear that out. Some of them didn't have fathers. Well, so one of them, his father died a couple of years ago. One of them, the dad's there in body, but the mind is somewhere else. It's like, I don't know. He, they never talked. He had no relationship with his dad. Another would have, the dad's been, the, the, the parents were separated. And during a conversation, you know, they, they quoted this saying because they were trying, I was telling them about something. I, was, I forgot what, what our topic was. But they brought up this quote from Fight Club and they said, um, this particular quote was, it has a context, all right? And the guy said, I am a man living in a generation of men raised by women. Now, that's not necessarily bad, but from that context, what he's saying is, I have no idea what manhood is because there was, my dad wasn't, our dads wasn't there. They were never there. They were never there for us. That was the context of that particular line. And while we were talking about that, while they were mentioning that, they, were, they started laughing. Oh, I'm kind of like that. You know, they started talking about that. And then I, I believe it, it was the Holy Spirit that just spurred me into talking and said, okay, great. You, you're a guy. You're a man who was raised by a woman. Will your son say the same thing? And all of them just started becoming quiet. Will your future generation say the same thing? That my dad wasn't there. What kind of legacy are we leaving? David, an older, older, older generation, left a legacy for Josiah, who was by then 16 years old. And because of that legacy, because of David's relationship with God, Josiah started realizing, man, I need a relationship with God as well. And because of that, this spurred conviction in his life. This was the first time he said, I will not and I refuse to repeat the evil of my forefathers. Imagine a generation like this who will say, I refuse to repeat the corruption of my nation. I, will, I refuse to live and have a generation where there are a lot of fatherless people. I refuse to live in a generation where there is cheating in the workplace, where people accept bribes. I refuse to live in a generation where people are entitled. Imagine young people started thinking like this. This is, what, this is Josiah. When he encountered God, conviction started happening. And he's saying, you know what? Because of an encounter with God, and the thing about encounter with God, it literally changes a person. There is an immediate change. And for Josiah to say this, you know what? I, I want to see this change happening. And he started doing something about this. I mean, this would be awesome to see young people start living like this. Because this could go both ways. We can have a generation of, I grew up, okay. I see my mom, I see my dad. I've seen their business practices. Hmm, it earned them money. I'm going to do the same thing. Whether that's good or bad. Hmm. I've seen people get away with the things that they do illegal. So maybe I will get away with it as well. I've seen people who would lie and cheat. I've seen my mom. I've seen my dad left my mom for another woman and probably he's having more fun. Then maybe I'll do the same thing. Or a generation will say, you know what? 
I've seen that and I don't like that because it hurts, because it's painful, and I don't want to have a family that's going to suffer the same consequences I'm suffering. So I'm going to have the conviction to say, I'm changing this right now. I'm changing this right now. I'm changing the system right now. In my school, I will not copy anymore. I will not rely on bribes anymore. I will choose to say, Lord, I will live my life for you. I will have conviction. Josiah, because of encounter with God, when he turned 20, he purged the idols of Baal and the goddess Asherah. He started destroying the religious blindness and the deception of people. He removed this uh, in in the temple of um, Asherah. This is actually where, this is a temple where they have male prostitutes being being offered to worship God, whether you're a man or a woman, to their goddess. He started destroying everything that's ruining Israel because he knew Israel was for God. Conviction. A generation with calling. A generation with conviction. What could happen? 2 Chronicles 34, 8, 14-15 In the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Maaseah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joash, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. He was now 26 years old. Well, they were bringing out the money that they had been brought into the house of the Lord. This is verse 14. Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law, or the word of God, the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shapa and the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaban brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that was committed to, the, to your servants they are doing. And in uh, 26 years old, the word of God was introduced to this man. And the moment this young man, this young king started reading the word of God, he realized, oh man, there are more things to do. He ordered for his entire nation to be set apart. He ordered everyone to start reading the word of God. He ordered him ruling a nation started at 26 years old, he ordered his entire nation to be consecrated. When we say consecrated, set apart. When we say set apart, we're saying, Lord, we're now set apart for you. And we're saying we're holy. We're saying, Lord, we now belong to you only. There is no one that's going to touch us. We, not, we belong to you entirely. There was a time in my life before when I was younger and I love eating unhealthy foods. Time in my life, like last week. Uh, <laughs> I love chicken skin. I do. I think it's because of my grandma who, when I was young, she would buy a lot of chicken and remove the skin, fry that, and give me just the skin. <laughs> Lola. <laughs> so I kind of enjoy that. So growing up, every time I would eat chicken, I'll remove the skin, place it in a special place first. Eat the flesh that, you know, I, it's, it's fine. It's okay, chicken flesh. And then I would finish the flesh in order for me to be excited about the chicken skin. It's like, separated. This is holy for me. No one touches this chicken skin. I mean, my mom asked it one time. We fought. Like, no, you're my mother, but right now, No. <laughs> My wife isn't here and she knows this. I'm like, I probably would, we would probably have a discussion about it. But the chicken skin was very holy for me. It's set apart. No one touches the chicken skin. I don't care who you are. So when we say set apart, 
to God. Josiah consecrated the people and he's saying, Lord, no one touches us but you. There's the world. The world is offering us a lot of things. This world is offering us these things. But Lord, we're dedicating ourselves to you. We're dedicating our attention fully to you. Entire generation was suddenly reformed. The game just started, just became changed because of this man. What happened? I believe he's not alone. We mentioned this earlier. There was a guy named Hilkiah and Shaphan. In fact, there was also Zephaniah and Jeremiah were the prophets. There was an older generation, apparently, that has been walking with him all this time. There was a generation of older people. And that's why when we talk about transformation, God uses both the older and younger generation to transform a nation. You see, this is what, what I love about um, campus ministry. Why I would choose to be a campus missionary for life. <laughs> Here's what. When we talk about campus ministry, um, our campus missionaries, some of them are here, some of them are preaching in, in Festival Mall, in, in, in SM Muntinlupa, and SM South Mall, actually. We're everywhere today. A lot of us have left our careers. Uh, some, of, some of us are licensed engineers, licensed chemical engineer. A lot of them were licensed nurses, um, a graphic artist, uh, someone who works in a... a lot, everyone was working in a corporate world, and we just decided to, you know what, Lord, we want to do this. We've, we've caught the vision. But this is personally why I love campus ministry. Now, um, and this is not to put anything down. This is just my own preference. When we reach out to people in, the, in say, doctors, we're actually changing. When we're sharing the gospel to the people in the, in, the, in the medical field, we're changing the medical field. And that's a great thing. That's a vision we all want to have. When we reach out to, say, artists and celebrities, we're changing the entertainment industry. And by all means, our entertainment industry needs changing because it affects a lot. A lot of people are viewing that, and that's a great thing. When people are reaching out to the government, we're actually changing and reaching out to the nation now. We're causing transformation to the nation now. And that's a great thing. We all want to rally that. But for me, as a campus missionary, that's why I love campus ministry, is because every time we reach out to campuses, we are changing the course of this nation and its future. Those are all great things. Meaning, if I reach out to someone in the campus who's going to be a doctor and will change the medical field, then I've also changed the medical field. God has, not me, but God has caused me to reach out to the medical field as well. If I'm reaching out to, say, a guy named Nathan Wang, who will become a celebrity someday, uh, <laughs> reach out, to, and he started becoming in the, being an influence in that area, and he started changing that area, then God has used us, the campus missionaries, and people who are helping in the campus ministry to change the entertainment industry as well. And we're saying, if we are reaching out to, say, uh, a Trey Rimulia, who will become a, a, a government official someday, maybe the next president, who knows? Then we're changing the course of this nation and its government in the future. All because of campus ministry. We're changing the future. That's the vision. And this is what I love about why I love doing this. This is the vision that we have. This is why I wake up every single day and say, Lord, I want to go back to the campus. I want to reach out to this student. Because we are changing the nation and its future. But the thing is, 
I said, go back to Josiah. How do we actually change this nation? And I was writing this down. First of all, he had nothing to show God for. He had nothing to offer. He was eight years old. He hadn't done anything. I mean, probably the best achievement he ever had was, uh, I don't know, the best in art medal or best in math. I don't know. He was eight. He had nothing to show God for. His family is a mess. He had accomplished nothing. How can God call him for such? You know, how can God would choose to look at an, an eight-year-old and say, you know what, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to use you. What did Josiah have? Nothing else but this word. But the bigger grace is this. Josiah received grace from God, just unmerited favor. He had nothing to offer God. But God gave him this anyway. And God caused him to change the nation anyway. God caused transformation of Israel through Josiah when he had nothing to show for. In the same way, our young people now and all of us now, when we talk about grace, grace is a bigger picture to us now. Because during Josiah's time, grace was a probably a concept. No, not a concept, but it's something that they can't explain. But now we can explain grace. Because grace is a person. Now, every time we talk about grace, there's a person in mind. And that is Jesus Christ dying on the cross, giving His life for us. And after three days, rising up again, giving us eternal life. And because of that, the Holy Spirit has been poured out to us. Grace that we can never ever deserve. A grace that we offer to young people and to the older generation as well. And we're saying, Lord, this is the only thing that can change and transform every single one. This, can, this is the only thing that can transform a person. This is the only thing that can transform a family. This is the only thing that can transform a nation. And this is the only thing that can transform the world. And this is for every single one. You know how powerful a gr- grace can, can be? When a person legitimately experiences the grace of Jesus Christ. This is Dana, the girl on the left. Wearing white. That's, that's Andy, a, a daughter of Pastor Jansen. Um, Dana is uh, from Every Nation Campus Santa Rosa, actually. She's a swimmer, a cheerleader, very vibrant girl, a victory group leader as well, full of life. But the first time I met her was actually last year when she was diagnosed with cancer, with brain cancer. All of a sudden, life just started going away. She can't play sports anymore. She had to stop schooling. In fact, they had to operate, uh, they had to remove the tumor from, from her brain, which was a very, she, she was operated awake because she had to sit down. And she felt there was anesthesia, but it wasn't enough, as she mentioned. And all this time, she would shift from, Lord, what is, why is this happening to me? I'm a young person. Why would, why would brain cancer happen to me? But then there would be a lot of times where she would say, Lord, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to worship you. In fact, this was taken during our youth camp when we had our South Hub youth camp. She really wanted to go and she went. She like saved up. She had cancer, but she wanted to go anyway. And she was there. We, someone took this picture. She started worshiping. Lord, you've given your life to me. My wife talked to her. Man, the level of strength of this woman was so big and so huge that my wife just started crying just listening to her. She felt like she had no faith listening to her because she was full of faith. 
And she's the one who had cancer. She, she has the one, she's, she's the one who had brain tumor removed from her head. But she was speaking life. And she was talking about her encounters with God and the reason why she's still holding on. And she's still saying, Lord, I'm going to hold on to you because I've seen you faithful. And this is cancer. Fine. This may kill me, but I don't care. I'm going to worship you anyway. Last couple of days after youth camp, this is what she said to everyone who knows what ha- what's happening in my life. Guys, titos, titas, cousins, lolos, lolas, every one of you. My MRI results came out today. I am finally 100% cancer-free. No more cancer cells. I can finally face a day where I wouldn't think about having cancer anymore. To God be all the glory. The fight is over. God is with us. And nothing and no one Nothing and no one can be against us. I love this story because she was ready to die, actually. She was saying, you know, if I die, I know where I'm going. And she's saying, but I'm going to fight cancer anyway. I'm going to look cancer in the eye and tell cancer, you may kill my body, but you're never going to kill my spirit because I will live again. When when my physical body dies, I will live again. Imagine a person who can face cancer. Imagine what this person can do. Imagine a generation who's like this, who faces so many challenges in their life, but because they know they have a calling, they know that they have conviction. Because of the calling, they have a conviction. And because they started the consecration in their lives and saying, Lord, I belong to you and no one else. I'm excited for, this, for what this woman will do. But I'll end with this actually. I want to show someone else in this picture. This was in the youth camp. So everyone was youth except for the campus missionaries and some of the speakers. Except for the woman behind her. That's her mom. And all throughout, she was there. She was actually the one reminding Dana, God is faithful. I'm here. I love you. We're going to be here. We're going to be praying for you. She's, th- she's the one who's always praying for Dana. She's always the one encouraging Dana. She's the one who contacted us, actually, about several events. She's the one who, t- who a- asked us about the youth camp. She's the one who was there all this time. She's the one who stood up, and every time Dana would say, I have no strength anymore. I cannot do this anymore. Her mom was the one saying, I'm going to be here. You know what? Because transformation only happens when both the older generation and the new generation will come together and say let's worship God together this is game changer why don't we all stand up we're gonna be worshiping God Lord thank you that the way you designed life God is not to raise up a generation and then kill them off and then raise up a new generation and then kill them off and then you raise up a new generation and kill them off. But you designed it in such a way, God, that you would raise up a generation and a new generation would be born in the middle of that so the older generation can guide the next generation. But this is your design. Because you want to prove, God, that you are the God of all ages. There is no age limit to you, God, that any age can come to you. Any age can be used by you. So God, we're saying, Lord, we're here. Whether I'm old, whether I'm young, 
Thank you that your grace is more than enough. That your grace surpasses age. That your age that your grace surpasses experience. That your grace surpasses our past. So we thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.